Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation. Trying to meet an expectation. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. I know I start every damn one of these things by saying this is a really special edition, but. Trust me, this one's a really special edition. Uh, I'm bringing it to you hot from the oven. Um, This is an interview I did just yesterday. Uh, I'm recording this intro, and I'm going to put it up as soon as possible this afternoon. Uh, This is a guy named Bruce Lisker, who uh, I first heard about a while ago from my aunt, whose living room I'm sitting in right now. My aunt is a wonderful person. She has always been someone I've I've uh, felt very close to. I mean, not this really doesn't have much to do with the podcast, but it'll give you a sense of how how things happen in life, and I'm sure they happen this way in your life too. The serendipity of of things. You know, my aunt was always she's the youngest of my mother's siblings. My mother's the oldest. And uh, so, you know, there, there's an age difference between my parents and uh, my aunt and her husband. Uh, when I was growing up, we'd go visit them and uh, my parents were close with them. And uh, so it wasn't that big of an age difference. They enjoyed each other's company. But whereas my parents would be listening to, uh, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra or Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass or something like that, uh, my aunt was listening to uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and the Beatles. And uh, it was just her place was always sort of a funky, comfortable, bohemian vibe happening. And uh, I resonated with that from a very young age and really enjoyed her company and uh and just the feeling I had being around her. And I still do. I'm sitting, as I said, sitting in her living room right now in Topanga Canyon, California, looking out on beautiful forests and national park or state park across the canyon from where she lives. The, her house is essentially bolted into the side of the canyon. So I can reach out from the sofa I'm sitting on and touch a giant boulder which forms one wall of the living room. It's a very funky place. Uh, Cassie and I were, were actually married here uh, by the great Stanley Krippner, who uh, you know if you've listened to the podcast for a while. If not, you can check him out in the archives. He's an amazing guy. Anyway, so my aunt tells me about uh, this guy she had read about in the Los Angeles Times who had been convicted of killing his mother when he was 17 years old. He served 26-plus years in prison for this crime, and he maintained throughout his time in prison that he didn't do this. Uh, and through a series of events that you'll hear about in the in the interview... Um, Bruce was able to find a private detective who went back and took a look at some of the the assertions made by the prosecution and essentially found uh, that they were bullshit and that Bruce was right. He was innocent. He and, and what 
What possible crime could be more hideous to be accused of than killing your own mother? Uh, so anyway, my, my aunt read about this situation and sent some money to, I guess he had a defense club, a uh, defense fund. And she sent a uh, hundred bucks or something to this defense fund. She does this all the time, by the way, her phone rings off the hook all day long because uh, she gives money to all these different organizations. So they harass her constantly. Um, and, uh, and I guess Bruce wrote to her, and they met and got to be friends. And anyway, she told me about this guy, and I thought, wow, what an interesting guy. I'd love to meet him sometime, you know. And uh, But I imagined he would be – well, you can imagine what I imagined, right? A guy's been in prison 26 years. Uh, that's not a happy guy. Uh, that's uh, an angry – explosive, dangerous, you know, it's a guy you've got to be real careful around. That's what I imagined. So a couple days ago, uh, my aunt said, uh, hey, Bruce, that guy Bruce is having a housewarming party. If you'd like to meet him, you know, you can come along. And so Cassie and I went to the party and the person we met could not be more different from what I imagined. And uh, he he's... As you'll hear, uh, he's a sweetheart. He's, uh, I'm I'm running out of words, uh, and I guess I I really don't need to describe him because you're going to meet him. But I just want to say, sitting there in the kitchen talking to him, I, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but I felt like I was talking to Nelson Mandela. Um. You know, this is a guy who's got 26 years, three months, and I don't remember how many days of reasons to be pissed off and bitter and angry. He's got so many opportunities to be hateful, justifiably hateful. And what you feel in his presence is love. And... uh I know there are probably other people who've managed to pull that off, uh, that that amazing alchemy uh, that transforms injustice into acceptance and love. But uh, the two people I'm aware of are Nelson Mandela and Bruce Lisker. So it's a real honor uh, to be able to bring this conversation to you. I'm amazed uh to have to have had the opportunity to hang out with him and uh i hope we'll continue to be friends for a long time he's he's a special guy business uh received as always received some wonderful emails uh brandon sherman james harling thank you for your your emails uh i don't keep track of of the tweets that people send me and that would be I don't know even how to do that, um, but uh, thank you for all the, the kind tweets and the iTunes comments and uh, every other way that you reach out to us and uh, and thank thank us for what we're doing. You know, honestly, all I'm doing is sticking a microphone in people's faces and letting them go, and uh, it's it's a great place to be. I'm really happy to be able to do this and. 
probably wouldn't be able to do it if I couldn't say to people, um, not necessarily Bruce, but but some people, I say, you know, I've got uh, 200,000 downloads a month at this point, and that opens people's ears. You know, some guests who are justifiably very busy. I know I do it when people ask me to be on their podcast or whatever. At this point, I'm so damn busy that, you know, unless it's something that's going to reach a lot of people, I just can't justify the time. So I understand other people, uh, you know, having to make that same calculation. So thanks to you, uh, people are making themselves available. Uh, for example, Mary Roach, the the fantastic, very funny, very smart uh, Mary Roach has agreed to be on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to hopefully sit down with her in San Francisco in a week or so. She's the author of Gulp and um, Bonk and a whole bunch of other one-word titled books, <laughs> bestsellers. She's very successful, very well-known, and uh, a lot of fun to hang out with. Short design T-shirts is what it's all about. Uh, I am sometimes I forget to mention them, you know, when I say, oh, we're not going to do sponsors this time. But short design T-shirts, they're always there. They're the that's the company that has supported this podcast from the get go and uh, in in ways both financial and uh, uh, spiritual, I guess I can say. Uh, Bennett has really um, has been there from the beginning. So even if I forget to mention Shore Designs t-shirts, Shore Design t-shirts, please don't you forget about them. Check them out. Go to their website. They've got great stuff, tons of designs, dresses, shirts, you know, um, uh, what are those called? Wife beaters? Very strange word for a t-shirt, but there it is. Uh yeah, so anyway, Shore Design T-shirts, check them out. I think what I'll do is I'll I'll slip in the Duncan Trussell Shore Design T-shirt uh, promotional thing that I stole from Duncan's podcast because he just waxes poetic so much better than I can, and it's been a while since I played it, so I'll throw that in right after the, the intro here. Uh, I guess that's it. Let's just go on with uh, Bruce Lisker. He's fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Bruce Lisker is fantastic. Uh, in a couple of days, I'm going to be doing a podcast with Duncan and Joe Rogan. If you follow them, you know that we, the three of us, are doing the sort of round robin thing. First, we did uh, did it on Joe's show. Then the three of us got together for Duncan's show, and this week it's my turn. So we're gonna we're gonna sit down. Uh, I think Thursday, and uh, and we're gonna do a little podcasting. So I'll probably get that out uh, early next week, um, depending on how much time I've got to put stuff together. So anyway, this will keep you going till then. Bruce Lisker, fantastic. Google him; you can read all about his case. Uh, very interesting guy. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Number one, as always, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour is sponsored by the beloved Shore Design T-Shirts. Shore Design T-Shirts is located at shoredesigntshirts.com. And oh, dear God, do they make such soft and beautiful shirts. Using the spinneret of technology, Shore Design T-Shirts blasts soft, beautiful T-Shirts into our dimension, which are worn by women, men, and babies alike. These shirts 
are so very soft, you will feel as though you are being embraced by swarms of orgasm-inducing nanobots, tickling your nervous system and bringing you into such states of deep ecstasy that you will want nothing more than to go out into the world and help your fellow man or woman. ShoreDesignTshirts.com. They, too, are bringing us closer to the state of paradise. Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. All right, it's 420. I'm sitting here with uh, Bruce Lisker in Woodland Hills. A beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, I met Bruce yesterday at a housewarming party, um, and uh, we chatted a bit. I'd heard about your case from my aunt about two years ago, something like that, Mm -hmm. and uh, immediately thought I would love to meet this guy. I'd love to just hear the insights that you've gained from from your very unusual life i don't want to say tragic because you don't seem like a tragic guy at all and um and you know when I, i when my aunt told me about your case it's so full of tragedy whether or not we want to look at it frame it that way there are you know someone's mother dies that's always tragic uh you discover her body that's even more tragic and then you get accused of having uh committed the crime um there's no way not to see that as tragic but what my aunt said to me was no he's relaxed he's cool he's like he's not angry he's and i i didn't quite believe that until i met you yesterday Mm -hmm. i have to say so thank you um Congratulations for pulling that off. Thank you. That's uh, quite an accomplishment. Thank you. I I, I find it interesting the way, in fact, the way that you uh, phrase that uh, in terms of framing, um, I think is is so important because we really do set ourselves as individuals as to how we're going to respond to life. Right. Um, Good things, bad things happen to all of us and some of us more extreme than others on the bad and the good side. Um, but uh, how we set ourselves, how we determine um, we're going to respond to um, everything that comes our way is really, uh, it really informs how happy we are throughout life. And yeah. uh, where they try to destroy my life, um, I'm not going to complete the job for them. So uh, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. And yeah. I'm just not going to hold a grudge. Yeah, well, that's the. Have you read A Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankel? No, I should. It's a really interesting book. I just read it recently. It's been recommended to me over and over, you know, for the last 25 years or something, and I, I never got around to it until uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it's he, he was a psychoanalyst uh, living in Vienna, I believe. Um, when the war started and he he was pretty well known and he was uh offered opportunities to leave to get out and come to america and um he didn't because he he felt he should stick around and take care of his parents and his parents couldn't get out so he stayed of course he and his parents were sent to prisoner um P- uh, not pow uh, concentration camps his parents died there mm-hmm. his wife died mm-hmm. And he survived, and he wrote about his experience. The first half of the book is the prison of uh, the uh, 
concentration camps. I'm stumbling over that word for some reason. And uh, the second half of the book is sort of um, lessons for life that he, he took from the experience and how he applied it in his psychotherapy and the one thing he keeps coming back to is exactly what you just said, that, uh, you know, we choose how we frame our experiences. Mm-hmm. We don't choose our experiences, mm-hmm. but we choose the story in which they're embedded. Mm-hmm. That's the story we tell, and that's, that's what we control. It's very Buddhist kind of concept. Have, have you studied Buddhism at all? I'm spiritually, I'm kind of a mutt. I think I've been pretty much everything <laughs> along the, uh, along the way. Yeah. I, I was, uh, you know, born, raised Catholic. Uh-huh. And then I sort of got away from that. And then, uh, the arrest occurred. And then I, I got into, uh, you know, you, there are no atheists in foxholes. I mean, it's, it's really, really true. Um, are there atheists in prison? Uh, fewer than out here. Really? Or fewer. Oh, yeah. Because when things get extreme, you know, we, we look for some sense of meaning. I mean, our, our, our minds are wired to try to pattern match and to try to say, well, this must have happened for a reason. And especially yeah. if you're innocent, um, you're really looking for some type of higher meaning and purpose and rationale for what's going on. And so I became a born-again Christian, and and then I sort of fell away from that. And then I attended uh, some Buddhist services along the way. And uh, I think I like to say that I pick and choose um, what yeah. resonates with me in uh, any major religion. I'm really not a devotee at all of any major religion. I think that, you know, uh, man's influence on them has sort of spoiled whatever, uh, you know, raw goodness might have been there. But I think that at the individual level, um, if we could uh, not consider ourselves the, the be-all and end-all, but have a sort of more egalitarian and more, you know, worldview of things that, you know, other things matter as well. Uh, I think it it really, uh, I don't know, benefits us all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I wanted to to ask you about, and one of the things I think uh, my listeners will be very interested in, is just, um, aside from your particular case, just what it's like to be in prison. Do you, 17 years, more or less? Is that 26 right? 26 years I was in. 26 years. You were 17 when you were arrested. Went yeah. 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 26 years and uh, in a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, because the American prison system is like this country we all know exists. Mm-hmm. Some, what, 5 10% of the public spends a lot of time there, mm-hmm. you know, in and out, in and out throughout their lives. And the rest of us never go there, never, not even to visit. You know, the exposure is through TV shows, uh, you know, maybe, and that's it. And it's such, but it's this huge presence, mm. you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been in prison, actually. Mm-hmm. I was... Um, for four days, I was in a, a federal prison in Alaska. Okay. I think it was federal. It might have been state. But mm-hmm. in those days, this was in the early 80s, they didn't have jails. So if you got arrested for some stupid bullshit, as I did, mm-hmm. and you had to wait over a long weekend for trial, as I did, you went to a prison. Oh my God. So I've had that experience yeah. of the yeah. doors closing behind me mm-hmm. and like, ah, holy shit, that's, I have n- nothing anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Four days, you know, yeah. and I slept in the gym. They, they, okay. The guy who took us in, it was me and this other guy, uh, was cool enough that he said, you know, you guys are going to sleep separately. Mm-hmm. You'll be with the population during the day. You stick together, do everything together, and everything will be cool. 
and, and I certainly don't want to <laughs> compare my experience to yours, but I'm just saying that I've experienced what it's like to hear those doors close behind sure. me. Sure. And uh, most people never even get that. Yeah. So how accurate, if you feel you can even comment on this, I guess, how accurate do you think people's sense of what it's like is? Yeah, unfortunately, um, for a number of reasons, a um, few factors here, uh, not not always vary. Um, I think pretty much you could, if I was to generalize, I'd say that, that uh, most people have about a 10 or 15% awareness of what it really is to be in prison. Um, because their exposure comes from TV, from movies. And right. whether it be a half an hour format or an hour or two and a half hours, um, the filmmaker or the, 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 the creative mind behind it is trying to cram in the entirety of the prison experience into that small amount of time. And so right. you wind up with, like, you know, by percentage, like a lot of stabbings, a lot of assaults, a right. lot of rape, a lot of this. Um, and not prison, much boredom. No. And, and in fact, it's, it's the, actually the inverse is, is true. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure from your four days. I mean, listen, you, you take a human being who has all the trappings of freedom, a car and clothing and relationships and, and everything, and, and you strip them naked. And you give them some tattered, ratty clothing and an entirely new world to exist in um, that is so alien to what we out here you know, see as, as our everyday. Um, first, it takes a long time to adjust to. Um, but some of the first things that you notice are that the boredom is, you know, the stock in trade. I mean, boredom and apathy and, and just, you know, lowered expectations and, and, you know, a constant, you know, thumb on your, on your tail, you know, that you can't really succeed and do very much in there. You know, yeah. the, 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 is that's, that is that thumb coming from the administrators, that's, that's, the guards, the other yeah, prisoners? Yeah, that, that's that's um, the nature of the beast. I mean, yeah, it is. It's coming from administration and the guards, um, who basically rule by you know threat of force. I mean, basically, you have gun rail officers over there with the power of life and death to you know rifles in their hands, and, and right. if you get too unruly, they they have they always have to, and and by necessity. I mean. But uh, you know, you're going to have to. There's a very large cat. If you hear meowing in the background, that's this. This is the big. I would say your cat's bigger than like most lynx. He's 23 pounds if he's a pound, and he's he's the uh, the largest breed of cat. He's a Maine Coon. Yeah, and he's uh, he's he's a. He's a beauty. He is a beauty. He's a beauty, but he's daft as a post. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but he's, you'll try to feed him and say, come on, come on. And he just stands there staring at you, not quite able to figure it out. But he looks smart. He Cats looks, always look so smart. He, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot going on in there by our <laughs> Um But, yeah, he's, yeah. So he's, he's a darling. Yeah. Um, so if he makes any noise, we'll... <laughs> there he um, but... Yeah. So, I mean, the, one of the first things that you notice about any incarcerated setting is that it's not what you expected. Right. And what we expected comes from what we've been taught through right. you know, the, the limited exposure that we've had. Yeah. I, I thought I'd be like raped and beaten up in the first 24 hours. And traded for a pack of camels. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't happen. And then you're like, well, that's good. Uh, I sure wish I had something more to do to occupy my time. And they're like, yeah. 
get your ass back to your concrete cell and sit on your sit on yeah. your bare mattress for a while. So you don't have access to reading materials and uh, um, you do. No, you do. Um, I, I wouldn't want to misrepresent that at all. Um, magazines and books and uh, you know the odd bit of literature. And then when you get to uh, prison, usually the place that you're going to do your time at, they will allow you to get a small television or a radio yeah. or something like that because prison's the best. I mean, television's the best babysitter. Yeah. And right. if you're Keeps you out of, of trouble. Yeah. If the lion's share of inmates are focused on the screen, then they're not plotting with one another as to how to, you know, get out of prison right. or how to damage. You know. Do they censor what comes through? On, uh, yeah. So you can't watch, like, prison drama, probably. Well, no. On the TV, basically, it's over air. So there's no cable, contrary to popular uh, right. you know, opinion. Uh, there's a cable that comes out of the wall that you have to screw into, but it's basically the over air network, um, yeah. network stuff. So, yeah. yeah so it's, it's, like, self-censored, but it's... It's funny what we, you know, consider censored in this in this nation. Nudity is out, of course, but violence, you know, is, right. is fine. <laughs> and it's that's probably not what we want to be pumping into our prisons, but it is unfortunately because that's what we all. It's America. Consume. It is. Yeah. Uh, what, were you in medium security, maximum? Um, I started off in maximum, of course, uh-huh. as a uh, 187. Um, the, the California Penal Code for Homicide is 187. So when I got to juvenile hall, they, they call you a 187. And you're treated with... Oh, that's right. You were in juvie first. Right? I was in yeah. Silmar Juvenile Hall. And then I was in East Lake in Los Angeles here. And uh, then I went to the Youth Authority. And I went to San Quentin. And then I went San to... San Quentin. Yeah. I was there for three years. And then I went to a place called Mule Creek, which nobody has heard of. It's uh, 30 miles southeast of Sacramento uh-huh. for 19 years. You never. What, what's the Supermax one? Uh, oh, the Supermax would be like Pelican Bay. Pelican Corcoran. Bay. That's what I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah. So they have the Super. Those are lockdowns. Essentially, and, you're in shoe, um, which is a, the whole isolation. Isolation, largely. Right, yeah, 23 right. hours a day in your cell. And uh, but I was maximum security. So at San Quentin, I was a level four. Um, in, in California, the the prisons uh, segregated, if you will, into um, tiers by like uh, level ones, which are the lowest security. They are date. You know. Uh, go out on day crews and do work in the community and largely told to stay behind the fence and sleep there at night. Level twos are behind the walls, behind the fences, but they're lower security. Threes are higher. Fours are maximum. So you're, if you're level four, you're in a cell, um, concrete cell. Did, uh, did everyone know what you were in for? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. It's, 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 most people know, um, what an inmate's there for in terms of uh, the penal code that was violated to put you right. there, but specifics about individuals' cases, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes it'll leak through if it's a notorious case. If it's a notorious case, um, yeah, it's been in the media um, in all likelihood, and somebody will have been in county jail with the person and sort of, uh, right. or the inmates with their TVs are able to right. see if it's right. really notorious. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you did you find yourself ever in in solitary or I mean, did you get in fights? And because I, I mean, you weren't always this Zen character that we find today, right? No, I mean, I you mean, must have gone through a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. You go through your you know your bits of turmoil. Um, I think I've gotten in a total of three fights throughout the years, two or three, um, in all the the years that I was in, and I lost. Most of those, uh, but you have to fight. You have to stand up. Really? If you don't stand. Oh yeah. I mean, you you could you know the biggest individual in the on the prison yard could be picking on you, and you don't you can't 
you know, hey, I don't want any problems with you, and kind of like run away because then, uh, then you're an easy target. You know, people uh, just take your radio. Take okay, your so that aspect of what we hear about prison life is true. You, you have do to stand have up to stand yourself. up. Yeah, you, you'll have to. There, there will come a time when somebody will test you. Right. Somebody will think, hey, this guy's weak, and I can go take something from him. And you have to stand up to people. Um, but. <laughs> One thing I've grown a great distaste for over the years is, is bullies. I don't like bullies at all. Yeah. And so, like, standing up to them, even if I knew I was going to lose a fight, um, was something of a, you know, bit of pride yeah. for me. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it, you know, you could look at Mike Ryan, the person who killed my mom, as, as a bully. He always was. And so, in a way, it was sort of standing up to him. Mike Ryan. Yeah. Hope I'm not related to him. Uh, probably not. What <laughs> <laughs> a Ryan! Even if around. you are, no. I mean, his yeah. whole family's—they're pretty good people. But yeah. it's just they had that one bad apple. What do you think about that? Uh, not specifically him, of course, but uh, it, you know, the liberal view is that people end up in prison because they're unlucky. They, you know, they've been abused as kids. They um, didn't have educational opportunities. There's racism that pushes people in certain ways. And the right wing view is no, some people are just bad. Mm. Um, yeah, no, you know, it's <laughs> if you, when you said the right wing view, I immediately went, well, okay, you probably don't want to <laughs> listen to that because it tends to be pretty black and white, yeah. and life isn't black and white, right? Is it? I mean, there's a lot of gray area, and I'd say all of the above are factors in in putting a lot of people, the lion's share of people, in prison. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, people who are who feel disenfranchised, people who feel wronged, hurt people, hurt people. I yeah. mean, we know this. Um, so yeah, no, it's everybody has a, a you know a dark side. Everybody has yeah. a light side, and and it's it's an understanding that you know as individuals that we come to be more holistically in, in tune and in balance. I mean, yeah. you know, it's yeah. You know, there's some line about how we uh, we judge uh, heroes by their finest moments and criminals by their yeah. their least fine, whatever the opposite of that is. It's very true. I mean, I've I've done things uh, not uh, crimes against people, but I've certainly broken all sorts of uh, laws, which I probably shouldn't get specific about. <laughs> but you know, it's like Obama, you know, with yeah. all the cocaine he did, right? And he You're never right. got caught, right. and now he's president. Yeah. But another black kid gets caught. 20 years minimum mandatory, you know, you're never going to be president, never going to vote, never going to have a job, you know, and then we, we judge them by that. Well, what's the difference? One guy got caught, one guy didn't. Yeah. That's the difference, you know, and what determines whether you get caught can come down to what color you are, what neighborhood you're in, whose car you happen to be in, you know, it's, it's so random. And yet we act as if there's some logic underlying it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy to, uh, to not have a disadvantaged youth. And, you know, upbringing and to have all the breaks and to sort of then sit in, you know, in in every tower in judgment of the people. You know, why can't they do the same thing that I did when, you know, it's probably 75 percent sheer luck. I mean, it certainly is that we have been born into America, into this nation of prosperity. I mean, that's luck and uh, that that we made it to, you know, 15 without starving. Um, A lot of people don't. And uh, listen, you know, so you get away from judgments when you sort of get introspective and you and you take a, a world view of things and, and a, a big picture view of things. Uh, and you have a lot of time to do that when you're sitting in a prison cell. Um, you know, you, you just you come to an understanding that, um, 
people are products of what they've been through. Yeah. Give them a break whenever possible. And ironically, I mean, that worldview doesn't align very well with prison as a, as a rehabilitation center, right? Because what are you doing? You're, you're, you're killing their intellectual capacity by boring them to death, putting them, you know, under the influence of generally not such great people, Mm -hmm. uh, or at least, you know, people who aren't going to teach them ways to get a good job and become, become productive. Um, what, are there people at 26 years? All right. Now, here's I said I wasn't going to compare your experience to mm-hmm. mine, but it's all I've got. So I, I'll just say in those four days in the Fairbanks Correctional Center, mm-hmm. which, by the way, was voted uh, the best uh, federal prison by the readers of Playboy magazine. Oh, nice. in some, <laughs> we have to discuss that. my alma mater. I wanna, yeah. yeah. <laughs> want to trace that. Path well, it was because, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a long story, but it, uh, it's because they have so much oil money in Alaska. Hmm. So, like, the food was really good. It's all wow. you can eat. And wow. there were salad bars. And it was like this whole sort Jeez. of plush. Okay. In fact, I met a guy. We were sitting around a table. He only had 20 minutes to eat, though. And this yeah. guy was just, like, chowing down, you know. And he had the tattoos and the muscles and the mustache. And he looked like Charles Bronson, sort mm-hmm. of. And he looked up and he said, this is the best fucking prison I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> My friend and I were, like, you know, 19 years old. You know, we were like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> right on. And yeah. he, he had, like, found some guy fucking his wife and beat him with a pipe. Uh-huh. Wasn't sure whether he'd killed him or not, but... Immediately jumped in his car. He was in New Mexico, I think. Jumped in his car and drove to Alaska because he knew he was going to get caught Shit. and he wanted to get caught in Alaska. Yeah. And it would take time to get extradited, extradited. or something. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, chow down while he was fighting. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, like, why not? You know? I mean, he was like thinking ahead, you know? Yeah, good planning. <laughs> you give it to him for planning. Not quite enough. <laughs> yeah, he could have started a few minutes earlier with the planning. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the, what I was going to say is that I was amazed at how kind people were. Because mm-hmm. I was in for eating a sn- stealing a Snickers bar. That's what happened, right? Wow. And then the cop, a cop walked in, and this whole thing cascaded. The yeah. cop had an attitude. I had an attitude. <laughs> and there you go. Uh, and, and when, you know, my friend was like, oh, we should tell people we killed someone, you know, just to keep them away from us. <laughs> and I was like, no, they'll know that's bullshit, man. Right, you don't right. lie to professional liars. Right, right. And uh, so we told the truth and everyone just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and so people were like, you know, they I remember. Yeah. yeah, I remember this one, like this guy who was in for rape, I think. He was in for a long time, like yeah. a big black dude, uh. put his arm around my shoulder and he was like, you're going to be all right, little man. And yeah. I just remember feeling like, oh, man, I love you. I love you, dude. But I mean. Snickers would have been your nickname. If yeah, exactly. Exactly. Snicker, nicker. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my, my point was uh, that I was surprised at how kind people were. Yeah. So I imagine in 26 years, you've, you met some incredible people. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you meet all kinds. I mean, you, the full gamut, the total spectrum. Um, people are aware at a visceral level um, that... Stakes are high. Stress is high. Nobody wants to be there. Um, And you might say the wrong thing inadvertently to the wrong person. And that might be your last day. You know, um, 
the stakes are exactly that high. Yeah. Now you can't walk around. It's it's really stressful to walk around with that thought in your head. And so you just adopt a posture and you say, okay, this is how to get along. Treat people the way that you'd like to be treated. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's a pretty good lesson. It's mm. a pretty good thing to do. And, and <laughs> it's funny though. Um, in prison, there's, there's this great confusion about respect. Um, people mistake fear for respect all day long. Um, you know, they'll respect me. No, they'll fear you. That's mm. not the same thing. Right. Respect is earned and fear can be enforced, but only so far because, you know, these, if you, 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 you dominate somebody and you crush their spirit and thus invoke fear, um, they might behave the way that you want them to behave, but then, you know, you've made actually a pretty powerful enemy because, right. you know, um, so, I mean, there were a lot of people um, who I, I didn't respect. Um, there were there were quite a few that I did, though, that uh, although they were dealt a not-so-fair hand in life, managed to treat other people around them with, you know, with dignity. And, and uh, you know, they understood that they didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be there. Let's try to make the best of it. And, you know, the best way to survive when you're in prison, whether you belong there or not, is to um, find people, you know, who are like-minded and uh, who are rehabilitation-minded, if mm. you know, and surround yourself with them and people who have learned lessons that you don't want to have to learn the hard way and listen to them. And I always, when I, when I was on the streets before I went in, I hung out with older kids for different reasons then, but I hung out with mainly older people um, when I went in because they knew they had learned these hard lessons. I didn't start gambling. I didn't get into drugs. I didn't do all this other stuff. A lot of people do thinking I'm going to hang with the fellas and, you know, be a cool guy on the prison yard. It's a dead end road. I mean, you're going to get yourself in a wreck. And so I, I, I did manage to um, get into a computer class and to hang out Mm. with, you know, the older cats who were, um, more mellow and more mature and, and, and respectful and, and it served me well. Did I you mean, have to join a gang at any point? You know, I didn't. Um, there are had I gone in I sort of went through a window in time when if you were accused of homicide, if you were a lifer people would kind of like leave you alone really? and let you do, you know, let you write your own ticket and kind of, you know, act and, and join whatever trade you wanted to, do whatever you wanted to, hang with whoever you wanted to within reason. There's a lot of racial divide in there that you sort of have to, you know, even if you don't agree with it, you have to sort of go along with it. So you mainly have to hang out with the white guys, mainly. Um, if you become friends with a black guy, you're asking for trouble. You, it depends how close the friends. Everything's relative. Mm, right. um, I mean, I don't have a racist one on my body, but I mean, you have to sort of, if you see every, all the other white guys that look like you hanging out with each other, then you kind of have to do that. Otherwise, you yeah. make yourself a target. Right. Um, so, yeah, kind of. I mean, mm. I had black friends. I had friends of all races. I, I didn't you know, look at races as any sort of a barrier to me making a connection with somebody. Um, in terms of her friendship. Um, but yeah, you just have to kind of like be careful. And that's the, that's the worst bit about prison is you constantly have to like think of, you know, where am I? Am I safe? Am I, you know, all this stuff that just, and it just wears you out. It's just exhausting. You know, it sounds, there's so many parallels between the experience of that you're describing and what I hear from people who are in war zones. Yeah. 
you know, the keep your head down, getting along with, you know, you're thrown into the situation with people from completely different experiences and worlds that yeah. you've never, you know, you don't go hang out in South Central. You don't hang out with a Chinese, you know, mm-hmm. some guy. Um, and what you said about fear and respect also reminded me of a military kind of thing. You know, like the United States foreign policy seems to be based on making other nations fear us yeah. rather than respect us. And as you perfectly put it, that creates enemies. Mm. And here we are, exactly. you know, look at the world as it is yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder uh, when you were in, if you felt now, okay, you're innocent. You know you're innocent. You've been insisting you're innocent. I know at one point in a probation hearing, you mm-hmm. agreed to say you yeah. were yeah. guilty in exchange for getting out, and then they still didn't let you out. Exactly. Um, but other than that sort of tactical uh, move, which you made how much oh, later? Yeah, it was years. It was early on, quite early on, and then, uh, yeah. Recant. Were you offered a plea bargain in the original trial yes. as well, yeah, and you refused so. it? No, 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 no. My first trial ended when they said um, you could either, you know, stick to your guns, innocent man, and you know, so to speak, or uh, and and face, you know, twenty five to life when we convict you with this, you know, trumped up evidence and this lying cop and this lying jailhouse informant, or we'll let you plead and go to, you know, youth authority for like three or four more years. And so um, when I spoke with my father, we agreed that that would, you know, my dad was like, look, just do whatever you have to do to get home. I know you're innocent. Everybody in the family knows that you're innocent. We all know that you're innocent. Um, yeah, that tactical decision came up twice. Um, oh, okay. So it was once so initially at, as well. Uh, trial, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. But then initially, they fucked was, you over initially. They... But it was like a year and a half or a year after my arrest. So right. I'd been in a year at that point with this whole situation grinding at us. And and so how did they pull out of that deal? Um, the they sent me to Youth Authority, and uh, you basically have to talk to Sykes and you know psychologists and right. stuff. And uh, my attorney told me, you know, you have to tell them that you did it. You know. And I'm like, well, you know, I thought you just pled to it and you could, you oh, know, you get, that's right. You, know, you so have, you to, have maintain to go the illusion. Yeah. And so you're talking to all these psychs and they're like, well, he doesn't show any, ad, any uh, authentic remorse. Right. Well, you know, how do you, you know, <laughs> exactly. it's, you know, it's beyond the stress of just being in this, you know, thing. Oh, my um, God. so they, they sent back a report saying he's not amenable. He, he doesn't, we don't think that we could change him. He doesn't show adequate signs of remorse, whatever. And so the judge gets this and says, well, I didn't realize, you know, he literally said, I didn't realize your problem was this deep and I'm going to allow you to take back your plea and go ahead with the trial. And, it, you know, you're just like this nightmare is just never stops. It's like a snowball, you know, just keeps getting worse. It's incredible. So, OK, so you were in that situation. If you had gone into the psychiatric uh, interviews and said, yeah, I, I did it and I'm so sorry. And you fake cry and mm-hmm. you like yeah, then, and they say not you don't show adequate remorse because my attorney told me you have to tell them that you did it. Yeah. So in a sense, not fake crime, but I mean, in a sense, that's what I did. I went down and I said, yeah, you know, I did it. Yeah. yeah. But you you're know. going through the motions, but yeah. you, but you're not showing the emotion that they require. So right. really, the only person who could have done what you were required to do would be a psychopath. You know, exactly right. And so it's complete. Yeah, it's catch it's 22. The, world, the whole thing, this whole thing has been like the world on its ear. Yeah. You know, black is white, white's black, you, you know, through the looking glass kind yeah. of stuff. You know, a lie is the truth and a truth, you know, is, is, is held to be a lie. But it's just. Have you come here for forgiveness? Have you come to raise the dead? 
Have you come here to play Jesus? To the lepers in your head Did I ask too much? More than a lot You gave me nothing now It's all I got We're one, but we're not the same Do you, do you ever feel, is there any sort of... Uh, cosmic significance to this is there something i mean you know a hindu might say in your last life you know you did something that required you to learn these lessons in this life i suppose um i don't or you're reaching the the end of a cycle or something possibly you know and i don't know (laughs) my own gut feeling is that just shit happens you know (laughs) really shit happens just like a bird shit on your head one day and the rest like what i mean i could you know did i do something to birds was i like a chicken farmer in the last (laughs) life no i think shit happens (laughs) yeah and and there were corrupt elements within lapd much more so back then than there are now. I think each generation uh, makes some progress. And why? What was their motivation? I mean, because I read, like, this, they said that you couldn't per- possibly have seen her body through the window. And yeah. then the detective you hired later went to the house, and he's like, of course you could fucking we see the body. We reconstructed the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, and showed, yes, demonstrably, you can see through the window. You could have seen was it? The was window. the detective just, the like, detec- didn't yeah, like the you? the detective, yeah. When you say they said, actually, we're talking about Detective Andrew Monsu, who's now retired with full pension. Um, Lion Sack, one of his first um, homicide cases ever. And he was basically handed the file, and one can infer that some scrutiny was on him. Are you going to do a good job, Andy? How's it going to work for you? You're going to nail this one, or are you going to fail? And he has lived a life of hubris and, and arrogance. And so that's basically his MO. And he decided that he was the long haired pot-smoking hippie kid of a woman 66 years of age who's attacked in her own home must have done it statistically it's no other there's no other way that, to look at this thing you know it's textbook the kid what had year to, was that the kid had to have done it when, 1983 83 and so he just had that in his head um and apparently and just never got off of it and where there wasn't evidence he went oh this kid thinks he's slick Right. He thinks he's he thinks he's smarter than the LAPD. Uh, watch this, and you know we got something for his ass kind of mentality. And, and that's and, where they claim that the new owners of the home had found <laughs> the money. I mean, it, yeah. that that is is really ironic because he's the reason that he, that I went to prison for a crime I didn't commit, so let, and he's the reason I came home. Oh, because he made that misstep. Okay. All right, let's explain this to, to the listeners. Yeah. Your mother had just gone to an ATM machine. Um, People had seen her at an my, ATM. Or no, my dad gave her $150 oh. shopping money the night before she was murdered. Oh, okay. And, and the money was missing. And the money was apparently missing. Um, apparently they did, The police missing. didn't find it in the purse. Oh, uh, that's right. And I yeah. had, yeah, and I had like pocket change on me. So yeah. he's going in his head. What happened to this money? And the motive would have been you and your mom had a contentious relationship, yeah. and you. Well, they vacillated between there. One was one was he just flipped out. They always had a contentious relationship. He just flipped out one day and just killed his mom. Right. There are other and that 
doesn't work with the whole money. And then their other motive, when that really didn't make any sense, they went, well, it was a robbery that went awry. He went to steal money from his mom for his drug habit. And she and, saw him. And she and, saw him, uh, caught him, yeah. and the, the attack ensued. Which doesn't make any sense because my dad, who was the breadwinner in the family, gave me like 10, 20, 30 bucks every day or two. Right. So why would I, for $150, which is all she had, which all, all that would have been in the house was that approximate amount of have committed this crime, killing the goose that laid the golden eggs, you know, Literally. so to speak. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and so nothing makes sense, but he didn't let that in. And, it, and it's so what's ironic about his, and why I say he put me in prison. And he also is the reason that I'm sitting out here free today is that once the conviction had, had been obtained, he had no reason to open his mouth about the case at all. Right. Period. Right. But years later, when you go to when you're a life prisoner and you go to parole board, just to explain a little bit, um, you go to parole board. The police agency that arrested you and the district attorney's office that prosecuted you is, are both solicited uh, for their opinion as to whether or not you could, you know, safely be released into society. And 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 of course, they always say no. And well, they always do with me, and they do with most people. Um, he wrote a letter to the pro board, like so many years after this, this crime occurred saying, um, I find basically, I finally solved the last missing piece in this case. The last puzzle piece has fallen together and I fixed it. And what he said was that subsequent owners of our house had found the supposedly missing money in the attic space above my old bedroom, thus confirming LAPD's theory of the crime and re- removing any doubt whatsoever that Bruce Husker committed the murder against his mother. A um, couple problems with that. Uh, I'm sitting here reading this letter because you're allowed to examine the contents of your file when you prepare to go to board. So I find this letter the next time I go to board. I didn't see it that time. And is this an annual thing? This is a, uh, well, it depends. Um, I was getting two-year denials back then. So oh, I would go every so two Every years. other year. You every other wait. year. Now they could deny you up to 13 years at a WAP. So it's, it's absurd. It's just... Um, <laughs> And when I was going to board, the parole boards were stocked by exclusively, 100%, current or former law enforcement or current or former victims' rights board members. So it was like hiring – it was as if you hired prisoners to serve on a police shooting review board yeah. to see if the cop was justified. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's that much bias. In yeah. it. Anyway, um, I rant. But um, so <laughs> he writes this letter saying that, that they had – well, there's a few problems with that. Um, I'm sitting there knowing that I'm innocent. So why would Mike Ryan, who by then we'd figured out committed this crime, why would he stop, go out to the garage, get the ladder, go into the attic, which required climbing up a ladder and moving a square to get into this, you know, dusty spiderweb space and hide the money over my old... When we know he checked into a motel that afternoon after sleeping in carports, and we could infer that he had obtained some money somehow. So he he didn't stash it anywhere, my attic or elsewhere. He used it. Um, So, and I knew that I certainly had. So I contacted my private investigator, Paul Ingalls, who was a Pomona cop for 10 years, straight as straight as arrow as they come. Um, He's a cop's cop. He's he's an amazing human being, and he... um, you know, won't lie for he wouldn't lie for the police when he worked for them, and he won't lie for a client. And so he's, in a sense, the best PI that I possibly could have contacted. And so I, I, I said, look, here's the deal: um, you've got to. He says, I'm getting on my horse. I'm on it. I'm all over it. He did a deed search. He found the subsequent owners, all of them, 
went down the line and, and figured it out because of the year that Monsi wrote the letter. He had written previous letters and made no mention of that. So it had to be between that date and the mm. day after the previous letter was right. written. And so he tracked them down, Paul did, and interviewed them. And they said, of course, no, we didn't find any money in, in the attic and, and never told any He just made that shit up. Out of his ass. Yeah. And so I was able to file an internal affairs complaint against Monsu, which was assigned to an honest sergeant named Jim Gavin. Jim Gavin is the other reason that I'm out. Paul Ingalls, Andrew Monsu, um, Paul Ingalls, and, and Albert Jim Gavin, who's an amazing cop, honest as the day is long. And my internal affairs claim was assigned to him. Hmm. He spent the better part of a year, which an officer has the right to have an internal affairs complaint uh, resolved within one year's time, unless they waive that. And so he was investig- He did an assiduous investigation of my entire case, not just you know hmm. the money being found, but like he ordered copies of um, footprint photographs and had them analyzed, right. which they never had been. The police and they, said the they didn't match yours. Yeah. No, and they came back not matching me. So boom, 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 all this stuff was happening in my favor. Yeah, and did a fantastic investigation, and just shy of one year, um, his superiors apparently got wind of his doing an investigation that was working out on behalf of the claimant right. prisoner and they yanked it from him and sent me a letter denying all my claims and saying everything else, you know, no money was found in the, or detective Matsu did not lie about the money being found in the, it was found in the attic. And, uh, you know, as to everything else, you had your day in court, you what? Know, go suck it eggs. was found, but who found it? Uh, no, they just basically said there's no evidence whatsoever. that detective Matsu lied when he said that, you know, <laughs> The money was found in the attic. This is like, so this is like my was. mother used to say, why? Because I'm your mother. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, and at right. the end of the day, There's you no... have to, you just, I was so, you're so programmed when you're inside to just accept defeat and accept, oh, you know, another man. crushing sort of, you know, lie that wins the day that you just go, ah, oh, well, fuck it. You know, it's, I kind of expected that much. But um, Paul Ingalls was like, oh, hell no. This is not, I mean, I, he at that point was so, every fiber of his being was so morally outraged by what the police had done to me and the way that they, he, he saw them continuing to cover it up. He said, no, 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 this is not the way this works. He went to the LA Times. The LA Times began an eight-month investigation, which um, uh, culminated in their publishing on May twenty second, 2005, an award-winning article about my case. Which is what my aunt read. Which is what your and aunt And she sent you some money to support the thing, exactly. and that's how we met each other. That's, yeah. And that's how my yeah. wife um, yeah, exactly. Touch, so. Yeah, that was a hell of a piece of journalism, right there. <laughs> she sent twenty five bucks to my legal defense, fund, and she says best twenty five bucks she ever spent. Yeah, so yeah, people, uh, if you look on chrisryanphd.com, where this uh, podcast will be among lots of other places, you'll see a photo I took of uh, Bruce and, oh, cool. oh, cool. and, yeah. and your wife, Kara. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah oh, she's, she's man. amazing. I just. Um, she is my raison d'etre. She is my reason for living. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, not, not to take anything away from her, but it seems you've got a lot of reasons for living. I oh. mean, you are. Don't we all? Yeah. yeah. But, but you're, I mean, you're an example of a lot of things. You've got knowledge very few people have. You, um, you know, you, did people believe you? All those years when you were in, did other prisoners just sort of roll their eyes and go, yeah, man, we're all innocent? Or, yeah. or did people, yeah. did you it's, even have a chance to talk about it much? Yeah. You it's know? funny. I mean, it's, it's gone in, in sort of waves. There, um, when I first went in, 
I was telling, when I was in juvenile hall, I was telling every single breathing soul that this is a mistake. I don't belong here. This yeah. is crazy. And I mean, inmates and staff alike and the staff were like, yeah, listen, you know, you really need to say that to your attorney. I don't, I don't care. I mean, I, you know, you know, and, and prisoners were like listening to you and some of them were like, yeah, fuck you. You know, who do you think you're better than me? Kind of a thing. Right. And, but I didn't, I didn't anticipate any of the responses and I yeah. didn't, you know, say anything that I did, you know, to try to, but then there were the, the jailhouse snitch who was like, oh, really? What did they say you did? You know, I believe you. What, what did they say you did? Yeah. Murder. And then they're really interested because if they could testify that you confessed to them, right. then they can get a time cut and get out early. Right. So um, there's a huge conspiracy in the L.A. County jail system in the 19, late 1980s um, that culminated in the grand jury being convened in L.A., mm. um, issuing a really scathing 150-page report about the practice of using jailhouse informant testimony in criminal convictions. But so there was there were those people. And so you're you, you quickly learn that you're in a viper's pit. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm innocent, too. You know, and, and then they start talking about their situation and you find out they're not. And you're just like, you really, <laughs> you know, we say that, you know, everybody's a product of everything that they've experienced before. And that, you know, you could you sort of trace the way that a lot of people wound up in prison um, as a rationale, as a reason for why they're there. It doesn't excuse who they are, the sort of their conduct, you know, and you, you come to become a victim of their conduct. And so you, you, you have to raise these defenses that you didn't even know you'd ever need. And suddenly you have to develop them. And, and, and so you start, once the jailhouse informant like claimed that I'd confessed to him lying his ass off, got a time cut by the way though. Um, you sort of learn, okay, just, you know, shut your mouth, kind of like shut up. You know, if it really comes up and you kind of really trust somebody, then you'll say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, you see a show on TV, 2020 or something, and you're like, you know what? That, that happened to me. That's, I'm here, right, for something I didn't do. And you share, but you don't necessarily always wear it on your sleeve. But then when we started making progress in the mid-2000s, um, starting about 2000, actually, um, I just said, screw it. I mean, whether it be because I attained a certain age and I just, you know, you don't really care what other people think anymore. Mm. You know, you just, I just started just sort of wearing it on my sleeve and then I'd be like, yeah, just, it, you know, by the way, you know, I mean, <laughs> and some people don't want to hear it and, and some people are, you know, interested and, um, some people are really supportive and some people just are kind of, you know, bitter in their own stuff. Most everybody in there is in their own stuff. If you had to guess, what percentage of the people that you met inside didn't deserve to be there? Um, like for any reason, like they were like convicted, like they were framed. They were, you know, it runs the gamut from like, yeah, it runs the gamut from like framed trumped up charges to like wrongly charged. Like you had a TV in your, you know, apartment that was stolen or something and they got you for like stealing it. Right. You did was like, you know, fence it or something. Right. All inclusive. Um, I mean, Amnesty International says it's 10%. Mm. And whether I think that's a little high or a little bit low, doesn't really matter. Because even if it's a tenth of that, that's 1%. And yeah. when I left prison, we were incarcerating 170,000 people in the state of California alone. So yeah. 1,700 it's a lot people, of people who don't yeah. belong there is just a number that makes you shudder. And, and you know... I read just recently, I think it was 1,300 and some people had been exonerated by the Innocence Project, just yeah. using the DNA technology that's become available. I don't know what the exact number is, but I, I, every one of those is just, it's such a victory 
for humanity, you know, that, that we're able to take science and apply it to, to forensics in a way that doesn't just put deserving people in prison, yeah. but corrects wrongs yeah. that have been done. It's, it's just... But the institutional resistance to it is what really depresses me. It's so you know? depressing. It's so it's sickening is what it is. Like this case, you're saying the guy spends a year investigating it yeah. and then it's pulled out and they just mm. say, fuck you. It, this never happened. Yeah. Is he still on the force? Uh, Jim Gavin, yeah. the good guy. Uh, yeah, he is. And uh, there's a really good uh, 48 hours, um, 48 hours mysteries episode about my case. And he's in it and they describe his relationship with, you know, and his standing in LAPD now. How are you in LAPD, they ask him. And he says, ostracized. Because he told the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and because yeah. it favored somebody who was in custody and it went against the, the party line he should have been towing. And, and yeah. I mean, until that culture of corruption is is modified, I mean, we're still going to, we're going to have more, you know, Bruce Liskers. Sure. We're going to have more... Central Park jogger cases. We're going to have this. We're going to have it. It's going to continue to happen. But I, as I said early on, um, generationally, as we sort of progress from one to the next, I think it gets a little bit better because just we as human beings, the human race with our moral compass, tend to want to do right. Um, I, I, I have faith. I have faith that even LAPD can pull it out. After a certain period of time, we're going yeah. to come to a place where corruption is um, much, much less than it is. But, you know, psychologically, you know, that there's, it's a really big mountain. It's a really steep mountain that we have to climb to get to, the, to that pinnacle, to get to that, you know, where we want to be with that. Because you have this esprit de corps. You have this, this trench mentality that, you know, yeah. your life is in your fellow officer's hands. And yeah. when, you, when you have that, it's an abnormal psychological dynamic that exists and so you have this situation where you know he saved my life last week am i going to call him a liar this week i don't think so i think it's apples it's not apples and oranges but the it's the scale and the scale's tilted way over to you know survival yeah and yeah and and they're probably assuming that you know guys don't get accused of murder Good guys don't get accused of murder. Okay, even if he didn't do this one, he's probably done something else. I think you that, know, that the, the, you make all these sort of excuses. Yeah. Is Paul Engels around? Is he around? Yeah, yeah. yeah Is he still working? Day. Yeah, he's a he's a, a fantastic PI. Um, anybody needing a PI? He's yeah. He's, that's he's why the, I asked. I was going to say, man, he's the one to call. Talk he's about a, a recommendation. Oh my God, he's he, he pulled saved your my ass life. out. Of, he yeah. saved my life. Yeah. Um, he saved my life. He's based in Los Angeles. He's in Rancho Cucamonga, so San okay. Bernardino. I don't know why he lives out there, but he does. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. no, he's he's an amazing human being, and uh, I mean, you know, if I just really uh, my my attorneys, uh, Bill Janego, Vicky Podbereski, Richard Hirsch, um, Michael Nassatier, and Paul Ingalls, and of course Jim Gavin, are heroes. I mean, in the, in the truest sense of the right. word, because um, each and every one of them could have said, "This is more trouble than it's worth." Yeah, this is this is a shitstorm in the making. I'm not going to step in front of this one, but they all, to a person, did. And um, my attorney, I haven't paid my attorney since 2005. 
What, what triggered the change? Because uh, you're in a long time before yeah. you hired Paul and, yeah. and things started happening. Yeah. What, what was the difference? It's what been happened? a slow crawl out of a very slippery hole. And I'll tell you, um, it started. Have you have you used that phrase before? Because that's a good one. Is it? You could use it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Guess. No, because I, like the only way you can crawl out of a slippery hole is slowly. Okay. You know, a fast move and you're back down at you're, the bottom. Well, you know. Yeah, and it always it felt like you know there are a lot of times when it was you know one step forward, five steps, yeah, or bet. five feet slid backwards. I don't yeah. know. I'll work that out <laughs> by the end of the interview. Well, it's a good phrase. I mean, I, I literally, I, I ordered up or had my dad send me every single page of every police report, every page of trial mm-hmm. testimony of when you're a juvenile, you go to a, a fitness and detention hearing, which is like a mini trial to determine if there's a reason to continue to hold you. It's kind of like a prelim, but for juveniles. So I had that hearing, then I had a prelim, then I had a trial, then I had another trial. Every page, every scrap of paper. Um, every scrap of documentary evidence I got in my cell and I started to pour over it. This was shortly after I got to prison and settled San Quentin. And I, I started to note discrepancies and I began to document them. And I said, this detective said this in the police report. Then in the other police report, he said this. And then in prelim testimony, he said this. None of that reconciles. You can't make sense of all these things. And I documented it. Fine. Boom. Stake in the ground, little flag on it, made some ground, and with footnotes, you know, and eventually that list of discrepancies wound up being 100 pages with 700 plus footnotes, and so that took years because, you know, it's not easy to write things in prison. They don't let you store stuff on computers. You Mm. had to do, I had to do it with a typewriter, you know, and like to make an edit meant like retyping the page and crap like that. And, and they don't let you have like the modern implements of yeah. you know, productivity in there because you know, it is what it is. And, um, you know, for some valid reasons and for some, you know, so you've got no keep, internet access, no internet access whatsoever in prison. So no one's going to be able to hear this uh, podcast. On, Unfortunately on in prison. No, no, yeah. no. Oh, um, and so I did that, and then that I sent out and was scanned in by somebody out here made into a website, freebruce.org. And then, so it is a slow, slow crawl. <laughs> I mean, glacially slow. Let me ask you, did it make it more painful? Did what? The fact that you were struggling to get out. Did you ever just oh, feel yeah. like, fuck this? Oh, hope is, I listen... Hope is the the biggest blessing, the biggest boon, and the biggest curse to the prisoner. And you have to it's it's kryptonite, man. It's yeah. it's like you have to play it in and play it out. If you keep it too close to your vest, you're gonna just be in agony all the time. Yeah. You're gonna be depressed. It's and, like you know, a starving man smelling food. You, you know, you just don't want to be near it. Right? right. Yeah. But you need that sustenance. And so, like like hope, like food, you have to you can't let it go. You have to keep it there and you have to pull it back and you play it in and out as you as you need it and it's it is the lifeblood of anybody who's doing what i'm what i was doing did you ever did you ever question did you ever think fuck maybe i did it no 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 do you never know false confession no i mean when you were being interrogated right i mean i know you you went the through the motions thing. and all right. that but i recently read an article i don't know if you've read this in the new yorker um about this guy who developed this interrogation technique that's mm-hmm. used all over the country and all over mm-hmm. the world. 
and uh, some people started studying it and doing tests in graduate schools and all this, mm-hmm. and they found that it elicits about 25% false confessions. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. Yeah. And it's uh, incredible because even when the police don't mean to do it, they're yeah. sort of supplying the information sure. for you to give back to mm-hmm. substantiate the crime that you didn't commit, right? Yeah. It's, it's an amazing interaction. Um, but you, I imagine you were being interrogated mercilessly yeah, oh yeah. initially, oh you know, yeah. What, yeah. 30 hours, 40 hours or something. It wasn't that long, but it was, it was intense. You yeah. know, it was detective Monsu sitting across from me and, you know, with his swagger and kind of, you know, so he was, the, he was the guy right from the beginning. Yeah. And then I demanded a polygraph and then they took us down to, you know, took me down to, you know, and so I was at the police station from about, um, what was it about noonish? Uh, 1 p.m. interrogated, um, and then I, myself and my dad demanded that I be given a polygraph, and then by about 1 or 2 a.m., like the next morning, I was driven to Parker Center for a polygraph, and of course, you know, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, and then they said, no, 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 you're you're horribly deceptive or whatever. And the way back to the to the you know Van Nuys Jail, they were like, no, you're 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 a total liar. It showed that you're a total liar. I mean, they were just trying, 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 yeah. you know, and, and I understand the techniques that they yeah. use. And I've read more about them in the subsequent years. Um, just like you haven't, you know, I didn't read the New Yorker piece, but I've, I've seen it like 60 minutes and stuff. Um, yeah, it's funny, you know, because you're never see people who think that you can adjust the, the mechanisms of restraint or interrogation or investigation such that you're going to get black and white. You're going to fix the problem. You're 100% yeah. conviction of guilty people and 100% release of innocent people yeah. is, 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 is living in a, a world of folly. You're never going to. There's a gray area. And, and so when you impinge upon the rights that protect us under the Constitution and flowing therefrom, you are going to put more people in prison not all of them are going to be in, uh, guilty. Some of them are going to be innocent. If you did it the other way, then you'd be, you know, letting more guilt. So I'm not at all surprised that you know that the, the police, uh, the the person who invented the interrogation tactics, you know, that it, it elicits 25 percent of. Um, it's designed to elicit confessions, isn't it? Right. You know. Yeah. It, it's it not. It's not designed to elicit just true confessions. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You can, and especially with juveniles, you know, you can oh, you can so get kids to say whatever. I mean, yeah. So what? Uh, you know, people listening to this who are who are outraged, who are hurt, and 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 feel moved to do something. What can people do? I mean, aside from you know voting for someone who's got a more intelligent it's approach funny. to things. Um, I'm gonna. Press pause. I'm yeah. going to take a pee. And yeah, I'm definitely. Answer that. All right, we're back from our pee break. Yeah, uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, I noticed you you were you were getting uh, restless in your chair there, and I thought maybe I was getting on your nerves, or no, you were tired of talking no, about no, this. No, this is a pleasure. This is great. I love this. Although I can I can imagine. You know, maybe you you haven't come to this point yet, but at some point you're probably going to be like, yeah, okay, enough. You know, my life is about other things. You yeah. know. I mean, it's, yeah, it is. Of course it is. But uh, it's also about this, isn't it? I mean, it's, I think it's incumbent upon people who have had, you know, like unbelievable shit happen to them, especially if it's bad, to address those things and to to carry them into the present and to discuss and speak on them and sort of, you know, speak wisdom into truth, I think, and to fix things, you know? Yeah. Let's fix some of this stuff. But, all right. Well, that leads to the question I asked just before the pee break. What, what, needs to be done what can we do most of my listeners are probably 
smart. I mean, I don't know exactly, but mm-hmm. judging by the emails I get, they're smart people in their 20s and 30s mm-hmm. primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them young guys uh, who are breaking various laws, drug laws primarily, some mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. uh, just as I did and Obama did. Mm-hmm. Um, what what advice can you give to people, uh, first of all, as to like, you know, how to handle themselves? Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, how can we help people who the birds have shit on? What, mm-hmm. what can we do for people like you? Mm-hmm. You know, whether honestly, whether they're guilty or not, right. it isn't really a big issue for me. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're there because, as I said, as you said, we've all got a dark side. We've all we're all guilty of shit. Mm-hmm. Some of us you know, get picked up for it and some don't. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, what do you know that we don't? What, I mean, like I was in Thailand and and in Thailand there in the cafes, there are a lot of uh, signs people put up saying, Hey, go visit Americans and Europeans who are in jail here. Mm. Cause that's, you know, they don't speak Thai and they, they got picked up cause they were, you know, they had some heroin or they had Mm -hmm. some marijuana or whatever, and they're doing five or 10 years in a Thai prison. So it's something that a lot of, uh, travelers do. You go, you know, bring some books or some, Mm -hmm. you know, some money or whatever you can do. Is there something in the U S that, that people can do? Should we go visit people? Should we pen pals? I mean, does that shit matter? Yeah. Well, um, actually I do think it matters a lot, um, because, uh, having sat in there for as long as I have, I've seen a a lot of people go home and I've seen a lot of people come back. And, uh, one of the, one of the denominators, um, common denominators between the people who, uh, stayed out, uh, seem to be viable social contacts and viable, mm. you know, people out here who can help them because in California you're given $200 at the end of your sentence after they've like taken your entire life here. Good luck. You know? Yeah. And don't uh, come back. Yeah and, yeah. and so what I've done is I've started a website called cell block services um, it's cellblock-services.com um, that is seeking to bridge that gap. Um, I have inmates send me their ads. I post them pictures, and I drive traffic to the site from potential pen pals um, to who can pick one of my clients and, and write to them. And uh, mm. it costs nothing to the person out here. They're, you know, anybody with Internet access can get to it and... And uh, by writing to somebody, you know, you're not only brightening their their dismal day in there, but you're you're making it less likely that one person is going to reoffend. So it's changing the system one person at a time. Now let's swing that around 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, are you at all worried about um, people you knew inside showing up on your doorstep? Um, you know, it's. I mean, yes and no. There there are people. Of course, there are people who are in prison who absolutely belong there and who you don't want to trust um, because if you do, it'll be to your own you know, detriment. Um, but that's the minority. Sociopaths, true sociopaths and true people who are just constantly looking to victimize um, you know, us people, innocent people in society are, are definitely the minority of, yeah. of people who are in there. Most people in there um, come from... Um, a disadvantaged background, have dropped out of school, have um, lower educational levels thus, and lower IQs perhaps. Um, mental challenge you know, is no longer a defense to mm. a criminal charge, and so there's a lot of folks like that in there. Thanks, Ronald Reagan, for closing the, the uh, psychiatric hospitals. Um, and they're products of what they've been through. Most have drug issues, most have you know, addiction issues, and uh, you know, so... 
that's 95%, let's say, of people who are in there. And so writing to somebody like that, um, having contact with them, as long as you're conscientious about it and you're conscious of where you are and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not inviting people over to my house. Yeah. I'm anticipating people aren't going to come showing up at my door. I have a P.O. box. Uh, with that, you know, bit of rational sort of protection of oneself that you would exercise with anybody else that you'd meet out here in, in society at random. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a, it's not, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I think that the system as it exists is, is the prison system, the criminal justice system is, is designed by those people who benefit from it being so as a black box. Let us tell you what prison's like, what prisoners are like, how scared you should be of all those people in there. And by the way, give us a buttload of money so that we can continue perpetuating this thing, um, not providing rehabilitation. So people, it's going to be a revolving door because, you know, let us tell you why. Those, those guys in there, they're bad. They're real bad mm. people. You need to be afraid of that. Yeah, you're in lucky reality, we're here. Yeah, when you re, in reality, if you gave somebody a chance and gave somebody some rehabilitative tools um, that they could use to not come back, you know, they're not going to want to come back. They want, it's, 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 trust me, it's nicer out here than it is in there. They want to yeah. be out here. And the same amount of money, that, that kills me, the amount of money they spend per prisoner. Mm-hmm. If you just, like, gave a guy an apartment... You know, and and some basic education, which would cost less than what you're spending on the prison. But it's like so many other things, especially now with the private prison systems, Mm -hmm. you know, the for profit prison Mm -hmm. thing going on where they guarantee a certain uh, occupancy rate or whatever they call it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's incredible. The motivation, you know, if I was king for a day, it's funny. I was if I was king for a day. Because in California, there was a big you know, controversy about 10 years ago, a little bit less, about overtime and how much we're paying correctional officers and oh, right. you know, $70,000 average a year after a you know, first year of probation. It's just a lot, a lot of money. Um, and a lot of that's bonuses and overtime and stuff like that. I would base bonuses. I'd say, okay, yeah, we definitely are going to have bonuses, but I'm going to give bonuses to every staff member who works at the prison in the state that exhibits the lowest recidivism rate right. statistically at the end of each it year. Makes perfect sense. I mean, you'd have cops coming up to inmates at the tables in the day room saying, yeah. hey, you know, can I give you some college brochures? Can yeah. I help you out? You know, right. you want to, I'll be your tutor in here. Right. It's the incentives totally, are all wrong. It's all yeah. backwards. It's yeah. all backwards. It's incredible. Um, Now, I know you've got a lawsuit going on, so, you know, we won't uh, talk about anything that would jeopardize that or or that you can't talk about. Um, But is some states... I don't know what really would, but I mean... Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. We'll we'll be cautious. All right. I I don't want to cause any problems. But I know some states, in a case like this, there's an automatic uh, payout. If if you're found, if you're exonerated... Um, you get a certain amount per year, whatever. Other states, you get shit. Yeah. California, California is, is one of the ones that has a program. If uh, you look in the penal code, you you um, can get $100 a day for every day that you're wrongly convicted. $100 wrongly. a day. $100 it's like a little better than jury duty. It's but a not little bit much. better than jury duty, <laughs> although in my case, with 26 years, five months, three days, but who's counting? Yeah. Um, 9,653 days, by the way. Uh, that would add up to a sizable amount of money. However... Yeah. Um, is it taxable? It, uh, it, it sure when you win, when be. you win in a, it certainly shouldn't be. No, but I mean, <laughs> the taxman wants to get his, you know, <laughs> yeah, but not from that. I mean, come bit, on. Well, no, they don't. I, yeah. you know, I, 
It depends on how what is given to you is structured. Is it yeah. called, you know, uh, punitive damages? Uh, is, oh, then that's one thing. Is right. it structured as like compensatory? In other words, what you would have earned had you been, then it's taxable. So right. it's, that's in jury award language. But um, I don't know about the $100 a day, but we didn't even apply for it because it's, in a sense, you're applying to the DA. You're applying to the... The you know the attorney general or I don't know who it is, but and I'm sure you're and, and you're also you. negating any right you would have oh, and you to sue have or to do, to do anything else. Sign a yeah. quick claim and say I yeah. you know give up any right to sue. Um, yeah. You know what? It's so yeah, that's that's problematic for a lot of reasons. But I mean, it's it is not automatic. Um, mm. I know we all sort of think, oh, that's automatic. Oh, yeah, they get. Oh, yeah, we compensate. Yeah, no, but it's it's just it's a pittance, and and even the hundred dollars a day, as you said, it's a little bit better than doing jury duty, and it's it's a pittance. Yeah. Um, it's not as if the legislators who passed that legislation clearly wanted to look like they were doing a really super thing for people who get screwed over by society, um, but they were not, um, because it's a drop in the bucket to say rather than hundred dollars a day. Um, you know, $10,000 a day. I mean, the number of people who were able to prove that they were screwed over like I have proved and wrongly convicted is tiny. It's, it's just, it's, it's tiny. It's a fraction of the people who are actually screwed, first of all. And it's such a minuscule number that it, it's a drop in the bucket budget wise. Yeah. Um, but they still, they, they made it a hundred dollars a day. Whatever. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not tied to inflation or anything. You know. Oh yeah, no, you're not going to get any cost of living. Um, this uh, I, f- I forget his name. The 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 cop who screwed you over, Detective Monsu. Monsu. Yeah. Uh, is anyone looking at his other cases? Um, I would hope so. Um, you know, because he, I forget the number, but he he boasted during one of his um, testimonies or his um, deposition that it somewhere. No, maybe it was in my trial that he had worked. Uh, no, it couldn't have been. It had to be years later, um, like a thousand or more. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting that number wrong, but it's a lot of homicide cases that he's worked. And I mean, it's not likely that yours is the only one where he played games. No, you don't act like that in a vacuum. You don't just like yeah. do this in one case and then you're a fine upstanding officer and all the rest. It's just not that way. So. Have you ever run into him? On the street? Um, I've seen him at depositions. I've actually been right across the table from him several times. When you were free. Yeah. 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 Since then. Yeah. Yeah. How does that feel? Uh, You know, like I said, I'm not going to harbor resentment. I'm not going to do that. And if I'm an activist for anything, it's, it's, you know, I'm not going to let him rent space in my head. I'm not going to let him continue the job that he did in trying to screw me over a.k.a. kill me with the weapon of prison so many years ago. I'm not going to destroy myself. What, how does he seem? I um, mean, can you, are you calm enough to be able to judge his behavior at he's all? He's arrogant. He's, 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 he's one behind of the most, a wall. Yeah, he's, he's arrogant, and he's just, you know, this sort of groupthink that exists um, among his ilk um, at LAPD uh, from his generation and all that are the, you know, slap each other on the back. You didn't do anything wrong, Andy, kind of generation. And, and so I imagine he has no shortage of support. Uh, if that scumbag didn't do this, he did something else, don't worry about it. You're all right. You're yeah. good. You know, good yeah. in my book kind of a thing. And so the, the hubris kind of continues. And it really um, it's funny. We went out for a, a break, and then we were coming back in afterwards. And we sort of both arrived at the, at the uh, 
deposition room door at the same time. And he kind of like made a point of like stepping back and, and saying, well, there you go, Bruce. And, you know, feigning some type of, you know, nice guy sort of thing. And it was just, it was, I almost, I threw up a little in my mouth, but <laughs> you should have kissed him. I think, but yeah, you know, but then again, I mean, it, certainly he would then use that, you know, as yeah. some sort of, uh, you know, he, so you just, yeah, you can't when you're anything. dealing with maniacs, um, who, you know, have run wild with their power, you know, these megalomaniacal, you know, people, you just, you have to give them a wide berth and just, you know, you ever, you ever study martial arts? I, mean, um, I don't imagine they kid, teach martial arts no, in prison. No, 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 no. Tai Chi <laughs> class, like meditative Tai Chi. Oh, really? Yes. They yeah. teach that in prison? Yeah, just the meditative version. Oh, that's cool. Um, but uh, as a kid, like a judo class, I think I went to like, yeah. you know, a few judo classes. Well, Aikido is really cool because it's yes. it's all about um, diffusing conflict without engaging in conflict. Oh, good. So it's a very, uh, I mean, it, it it originated as a way to defend yourself against someone who's got a sword when you don't. Okay. So you don't try to block anything because mm-hmm. you're, you know, they'll slice right through your arm. Um, and... So what you do is if somebody's, uh, you know, attacking you with a certain line, you give them that line. Mm. But you maintain your own center. You mm-hmm. maintain your balance at all times. It's all very circular. And, you know, it's sort of famous for using the other guy's um, energy Moments against him in a way, you know. Similar um, to judo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although judo, as I understand, is more grappling and wrestling. It's and this is more throws. And, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, there's there's block and there's a lot of like joint work, you know, okay, where joints yeah. will turn this way, but not that way. And, and uh, but what I love about it is the psychological aspect of it, mm-hmm. that it's, you know, when you see someone coming at you with a certain need mm-hmm. expressed as aggression, mm-hmm. There's a way that you can give them what they need without losing anything yourself. And in fact, if you try to block them getting what they need. So someone's, you know, if I'm speaking publicly and it's important for, you know, in the Q&A, someone's got to bug up their ass and it's important for them to like establish that they're just as smart as I am or smarter. Mm -hmm. I don't give a shit, you know, give them that, you know, and it'll take all the wind out of their attack and we won't waste our time in a ego fest. you know. So anyway, a lot of what you've been saying reminds me of the yeah. the energy in, in Aikido. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I had a really I, the the woman that my father, after my mother was murdered, um, wound up marrying um, until he passed in 1995. Um, they were married. Your your dad died in 95. 95. So he never saw me out. Saw you out. No, it was his biggest, his greatest dream, but he never did. Um, Never any, never even saw any real progress towards that. Because it really started around 2000. You it started you uh, late 1990s. Yeah, late 1990s. So that might be the most tragic aspect of the whole story. Yeah, you know, it's it's full of that. If you're looking for that, it's it's um, yeah. you know, it it is poignant. But um, you know, she Joy was her name, uh, my stepmom. And she had a philosophy that said there's two things in the world. There's love and there's fear. Most people think love and hate are the opposites, and they're not. It's love and fear. Hate could really be boiled down to its elemental you know, essence by seeing it as a fear of somebody being better than you, somebody right. having, you know... 
or something within yourself that you haven't acknowledged. Every totally. fucking homophobe totally. is freaked out about their own same-sex oh, attractions, so funny, as far prison, as I can in, tell. In prison, it's so funny. You'd see these guys, and some of these guys are just, just trumpeting steam coming out of their ears about these faggots on their own, yeah. you know? And you just wait a year. Wait, wait a year because somebody's going to, you know, walk past their cell and find them doing something yeah. with their celly. It's it's really funny. It when <laughs> so the the fear and the love thing is is really important to sort of keep as a as a paradigm, you know, for for human existence and to realize and recognize this in people, um, you know. But yeah, that's yeah. Is the mentioning the homosexuality is this sort of situational homosexuality in prison as common as it's depicted? No, it's not. It's funny. Um, there's. A lot of guys, a lot of guys who are just like, you know, I'm lonely, but I mean, I got my magazines and I could just, you know, take right. care of myself. And, and they're just, that's what they do. They're, Masturbation's yes. acceptable. Yeah, Nobody's yeah. freaked out about that. I yeah, yeah, you don't do it in front of other people, right. um, but you kind of in your cell, you know, your right. cell, he goes out and, and you leave and he comes home, whatever. You, right. you give him cell time. Cell time. Yeah. yeah, you know, cell time is a good, important thing. Did you get conjugal visits or has that happened? Um, I did, yeah. Actually, I got married in 1994 and had six conjugal and it has to be together. you have to be married it can't just be with a girlfriend or... no it can't be with a girlfriend oh god everybody. oh really no no you have to be married you to have them. to be married um, it could be with a parent um you know it's so it's not just like a sexual thing uh-huh. it's conjugal it's so conjugal means business. that you're alone with the person you yeah okay yeah, there's it's... nobody monitoring you or something exactly uh-huh. yeah they're um only loosely you're on you're in a separate um set apart area within the outer prison perimeter right um and uh so you would go out, you get searched on the way out, your visitor comes in with their stuff, gets searched, and you're in this thing for, at Meal Creek, it was three days. So you go out on a Friday, come back. Uh, oh, really? You know, so you're like there for a weekend. Monday. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Or, and then there was Monday to Thursday. So there were two shifts, in a sense, that you can go to. Oh, and you're in there, you're alone. There's a telephone with no dial on it. And when it rings, the inmate has to step outside and, and be visible to the uh. staff member in a tower for count. Right. And that's like three times a day, I think it was. And now it's it's more. And then they took family visits away from lifers. So um, that was 1996. They took them away from lifers. And that was about the time I got divorced. But what was your sentence initially? Uh, t- uh, 16 years to life. Six so you were considered a lifer? A lifer, yeah. I was a lifer. Yeah. 16 to life. And... While you were in, did anyone try to escape? Did you, did anyone? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, yeah, and some, yeah, there there were escapes. Mainly, m- most people hear about escapes. They're mainly um, minimum facility walkaways. Right. Or, you know, just, you know, go out on a work crew and. Don't come back. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but that's, you know, that's an escape. And, and, so and that, like, that'll get you put up oh, to a much higher level. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not a smart move. When you get caught, you're probably going to get caught. When you get caught, you come back and it's like an extra two years because it's a crime to escape. Mm-hmm. And then you're a different custody yeah. level. You're like behind the wall. But did like at San Quentin, is that um, even possible? Before I got there, there was a guy who had escaped that was on America's Most Wanted. Um, and then they caught him. Um, I, don't know. I'm going to misquote, but very, very loosely, um, he went down to Central America and was like in, living like in the hills near a village with like one TV in it and 
one TV <laughs> was fucking tuned to yeah it was tuned to America's Most Wanted and oh, then people man. were just like hey he's up in the you know and oh, they, they caught this guy and put him back in San Quentin and then they said that he didn't get down he refused to get on the ground during an incident and they shot him and killed him yeah right yeah, yeah they don't they don't like that it reminds me of a friend of mine who is a, a sheep farmer mm-hmm we were talking one night, and I made some joke about how stupid sheep are. And he said, you know, sheep aren't stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens is you kill the smart ones. Because the smart ones are the ones who figure out how to get their nose under the fence. Oh. And if you don't kill him, then he'll be doing it all the time, and the yeah. rest of them will just follow him. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as a sheep shows any sign of intelligence, you eliminate him. Well... Take a page from the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. When he, were you there when he came back? No, this was uh, uh, before I, uh, I went there. So a guy like that, would he, would he be a star? Would he be like a hero? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, there was, there was I mean, a guy... How do you there get was, out of San Quentin? There was too. a guy... Yeah, I know. Um, they think he got out um, in a lawn, uh, some type of a truck that could... Oh, well, he... Like yeah. flung to the bottom side of a truck. Yeah. Um, it's funny, yeah, there was a guy who got in a relationship with a correctional officer um, that I had done time with, and uh, she quit, and, like, the next day turned in paperwork to marry this guy, and he was kind of a hero, you know, so, like, the escapees, there's not, there aren't many escapees, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, there's a few, but those guys, that guy was really kind of looked up to, it was, it was funny, <laughs> it was funny, but yeah. they, they make your life hell, because, it, you you know, yeah, they don't want any heroes, they don't want any heroes, yeah. and um, they said, okay, you have a right to get married to this person, this person has a right to get married to you, we'll, we'll process your paperwork, but then the minute that they get married, they shipped him to a prison that's like, as far away from the city that she lives in, yeah, as can be, and then she like, got together the resources, got a new job, moved to that other city, and then they transferred him to another city yeah. back down. Oh, it was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't want you to show any dominance. I read a story. I, I don't remember the details. I think it was a guy in Baltimore who was in prison, who like got three correctional officers pregnant. Pregnant. <laughs> like three. Yeah, like three of them that were still working, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well, I mean, that guy must have some game. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> he <must have laughs> I don't know what he's doing in prison. He yeah, be a politician. For <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so what happens next? What's what's? Are you going to write a book? Are you are you going to um, try to do something some public point, with I, this? I hope or, at some you point, think? you know what I do publicly is I speak at uh, Innocence Project. Oh, okay. I, I speak, right. You know. Anytime I'm asked to speak, you know, I'm willing to speak. I'm happy to speak about what's happened to me. And I just, you know, Mm, I think, um, I mean, it could have been worse for me. I could have been killed in there. So the fact that I'm alive and able to tell the tale and able to, you know, explain how this crazy thing that happened to me happens. um, Number one, you know, like I said, it's incumbent upon me because it makes it much less likely that it's going to happen again when, when you have somebody going, Look there, what we're doing right now is what they were right. doing back then, and this leads to that, you know. And I know we don't have the best track record as a society for, for learning from history's lessons, but at least it's there. And I, I, I just, you know, I'm compelled to try. And so every time I'm asked to speak, I speak. You know, that's great because you're, you're not only unusual in the sense that this happened to you and you found a way out and, you know, people, your lawyers and the detectives stuck up for you. And all, I mean, all these 
things fell into place for you that, that are wonderful. But you're also unique in the sense that I'm sure a lot of the people who are innocent and who do even find a way out, they're not articulate, right. well-spoken. You know, you're not a threatening guy. Mm. So a guy who gets up covered with tattoos and, you know, like a badass motherfucker, yeah. Yeah. even, you know, like, yeah. okay, sorry, but I, I'm just not going to be as sympathetic, yeah. you know, because you scary. need that last tat on your neck. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like Mike Tyson. You're a nice guy, I'm sure, but you face, still scare me, man. Face tats. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's amazing. It's, so Well, you know, uh, if there's, if there's uh, like I said, I mean, if that's why it's all the more incumbent, right? You know, it's it's right. all the more um, down to me to to you know, if you have two brain cells to rub together, to put it together, a cohesive sentence, and say, look, this is how it happens. Yeah. I can draw you a roadmap. We need to change this. We need to not, you know, all the better. Well, listen, man, I I hope the rest of your life is just filled with happiness. Thank you, man. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. That was a handshake. (laughs) (laughs) He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? We'll dance into the ground.